0: You can subscribe to the show at kevinbarrett.substack.com.
1: Yeah. The key thing is don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside. Don't drink or eat anything. what are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Well, highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think the, the most important, the most compelling, was uh, was 11 itself. Yeah.
0: Welcome to the live special edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett doing the show every Friday evening here on Revolution.Radio, the finest of listener sponsored free speech networks. If you care about free speech, you should be listening to this network because it is a leader in promoting a wide variety of interesting viewpoints that are generally censored everywhere else. And, of course, that's what I do here on Truth Jihad Radio. The website is truthjihad.com. Tonight, we're going to be debating the million-dollar question of the lingering effects of COVID in terms of the higher mortality rates and the deaths among working-age people. The Athletes Collapsing on Fields, uh, Damar Hamlin being the most recent example. What's behind that? In the second hour, Helen Byniski comes on to talk about her article, Atrocities Aren't Accidents. It's an eloquent plea for accountability from the people who mismanaged COVID, maybe even the people who started COVID, and, of course, the man who's done more than anyone else to make that argument that COVID came out of a U.S. bio on China and Iran. Ron Unz is on here in the first hour talking about his new article, Vaccine Deaths or COVID Deaths. He questions the widespread belief in alternative media held by people like Helen Byniski, along with a great many others, that the biggest reason we're seeing this continued high rate of excess mortality, especially among working-age people, is according to Ron, not so much because of vaccines, but due to lingering effects of COVID. And he actually makes a very good prima facie case for that in his new article, Vaccine Deaths or COVID Deaths. So let's listen to him and think about it. Hey, welcome, Ron. How are you? Hey, great to be here. Always good to have you back. So yeah, our, our our video on the COVID origins question is now past a, a million views. That's pretty cool. Uh do you, do you think we're actually getting some movement there? I noticed uh, there are a few more articles that have come out um pointing out this obvious elephant in the living room that you did so much to point out originally.
1: Hey, it's encouraging. In other words, it looks like uh, some prominent uh, websites in what might be called the alt COVID community are starting now to go back and look at the origins of COVID rather than a lot of the other important issues that they've been dealing with over the last year or two. So it's, it's certainly encouraging that there's movement in that direction.
0: I agree completely. Well, uh, and I think that uh, Helen Byniski's plea for accountability regarding this COVID catastrophe uh, is it's excellent as it stands, but if I had written that article or if I were her editor, I would have said, hey, start with the issue of COVID origins, because that's that's kind of where it all starts, isn't it?
1: Exactly. I mean, in other words, regardless of all these other points that people can argue about, um, including, for example, the vaccines, we obviously wouldn't have the vaccines without COVID. And so it seems to me asking where COVID came from and who was responsible for it is a very reasonable point to make. I mean, the the official story that, you know, you see in the media is that probably up to 18 million people around the world have already died because of the COVID outbreak, including over a million Americans. And, you know, whether you can argue about how many of the deaths are due to one cause or another cause, but obviously those people would not have died if not for the COVID outbreak. And if, as I've been arguing now for well over two years, there's really quite a lot of strong evidence that the COVID outbreak was the result of an American bio-warfare attack against China and Iran, I mean, that's a very important point that people should look at. I mean, we're talking about a million dead people, a million dead Americans.
0: That's right. And it seems to me that if we uh, think of this whole you know two two and a half years this this ongoing catastrophe in uh, terms of geopolitics and the likelihood that it emerged from as you say a US biowar strike on China and Iran then the whole question of the vaccines and why they would be so reckless as to push this new vaccine technology uh, which promises to be able to come up with quick uh, vaccines and antidotes to, uh, rapidly mutating bioweapons or rapidly, uh, deliberately altered bioweapons. Uh, it, it recontextualizes the whole thing and suggests that indeed the whole development of the vaccines along with the development of the virus itself may have been, uh, part of a military program. And, and this seems to be something that isn't getting nearly enough attention in the alt COVID community. Sure, sure okay well let, let's talk about the uh, the new essay that you the new article that you uh, published and it's getting of course a lot of antagonistic comments from the alt covid community because you are skeptical about their claim that these persisting high death rates that we're seeing uh this year and and last year especially in terms of the unexplained 40% increase in mortality among working age people here in the United States with uh, similar and very to varying degrees kinds of statistics from other countries that the, you know, the main, the first explanation that you hear in the alt code community is that this is probably mainly from vaccines. But you look, in your article, you look at sort of when the, these deaths and especially the cardiac related deaths started. And use that to argue that, no, this is probably, these are lingering effects of COVID infections. So maybe you could sketch that argument.
1: Sure. Uh, The whole thing about it is when you're talking about, you know, this sort of issue, you really have to wait until you can get a reasonable amount of statistics available to really decide. Because, you know, you can look at anecdotal cases of somebody dying on the field or somebody dying mysteriously. But, you know, once you have thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of data points over a period of a couple of years, you can really form a much better judgment of what really happened and why it happened. And so, uh, you know, i had been sort of doubtful of those arguments when I started hearing them a, couple of, a year or two ago, but it was only really recently that I sat down and, you know, looked at two years or three years worth of data, and it seemed to really be very persuasive as to what really was going on the whole thing about it is most of the uh, anti-vaxxers, most of the vaccine skeptics who are saying that the vaccines are killing substantial, even large numbers of people in, in the prime of their life, usually seem to argue that the deaths are caused immediately in the you know directly by heart fatal heart attacks or strokes in other words they typically talk about somebody an athlete dying on the field of an apparent heart attack or stroke or you know a prominent celebrity or an actor or someone like that suffering that fate and they argue that the vaccines the vaccine had been what caused the large rise in fatal heart attacks and strokes and on the face of it that's a perfectly plausible argument in other words The vaccines use a really a very new technology, the mRNA technology, in which, in effect, the cells of one's own body are hijacked in order to produce portions of the spike protein that's part of COVID. And, you know, because of the epidemic being so serious and so many people, you know, potentially being at risk of death. The government ended up waiving all the standard testing procedures, you know, the normal round of clinical tests that would have gone on for years before some new technology like that could be widely used. So we're talking about a very new medical technology that suddenly was implemented without clinical testing. And, you know, hundreds of millions, even billions of people around the world were subjected to the vaccine. So, you know, on the face of it, it's perfectly plausible, that it would have extremely dangerous side effects, just like the anti-vaxxers have been claiming. And so, you know, on the face of it, I really just had no strong feelings one way or the other. But when I then sat down and looked at the data, now that we have three years' worth of data, it's really become sufficient to form a solid opinion, I noticed some fairly obvious facts. The clear issue is if we're focusing on the fatal heart attacks and strokes which are allegedly being caused by the vaccines it is true that there's been a very substantial rise in fatal heart attacks and strokes over the last couple of years in other words currently fatal heart attacks and strokes are running about forty or fifty thousand a year in america higher than they had been a few years ago but if you look at when the change took place the rise in such fatal heart attacks and strokes almost entirely occurred in 2020. Now, the vaccines were only introduced right at the end of 2020, on December 14th. So in other words, since the distribution of the COVID vaccines only began on December 14th, it obviously had almost no impact on the health effects for 2020. And it was only 2021 and 2022 that large numbers of people were vaccinated. And we start seeing the results of that. But it turns out the rise in fatal heart attacks and strokes entirely took place in 2020. And then it leveled off entirely. So there was virtually no change in 2021 or 2022.
0: Now, now Ron, was that in all age categories? Uh, did you look at it? Oh, sorry. Age categories? I, I, right.
1: Exactly. That was across all age categories. In other words, uh, the, the figures I'm looking at are just sort of general for the United States. In other words, basically, it's the overall number of people who died from fatal heart attacks and strokes across you know, all the different age groups in the United States. And the rise took place almost entirely in 2020 and then leveled off afterwards. Now, uh, I can actually get into the question of the age distribution categories in a moment. But uh, the numbers I was looking at for the United States, just the first thing I looked at, were the overall figures. So in other words, if there was a very substantial rise in fatal heart attacks and strokes the year before the vaccines were introduced, the vaccines were obviously not responsible for it. And we do know, I mean, there have been quite a number of medical reports that COVID infections do quite often injure heart tissue and can lead, in the opinion of a lot of medical doctors, to an increased risk of fatal heart attacks and strokes. So in other words, we know that the, that the um, large-scale infections that, you know, Tens of millions, even possibly 100 million Americans were infected during 2020. And that's exactly when the increase in fatal heart attacks and strokes took place. So it isn't too surprising that if people had long-term health damage from COVID infections, that they would then be at a somewhat increased risk of fatal heart attacks and strokes that year and in the following years. Remember, we're talking about relatively small numbers. We're talking about probably by now 200 or 250 million Americans have been infected. And the number of increased fatal heart attacks and strokes each year was only about 30 or 40,000. So in other words, we're talking about you know basically far less than one in a thousand infected individuals than dying of a fatal heart attack and stroke. But the numbers are still sufficient to move that mortality category in the United States. So, in other words, it doesn't prove that COVID was responsible, but it does raise very serious doubts that the vaccines had anything to do with it because the rise occurred before the vaccines were distributed. And then after all the very heavy vaccine and boosting occurred in the United States, there was no... Subsequent change in the rate of fatal heart attacks and strokes.
0: And that leads to uh, my my best attempt to try to find uh, a hole in your basic argument about the U.S. data, which is that one would expect that from when you have uh, a pandemic that rages wildly in 2020 and infects the most vulnerable people and kills the most vulnerable people in that year that then you would have a substantial decrease in death rates in the following year, couple of years, because it would have killed off the low-hanging fruit, right? The people who would have been most likely to contribute to the death rates in 2021 and 2022. So uh, basically, we would expect that after the pandemic year of 2020, uh, that all death rates, including death you know, especially death rates of anything that would have been caused by COVID in this case, including these heart issues, that those death rates should have actually gone down below their 2019 levels. But rather than going down below their 2019 levels, they stayed uh, very high. And what makes this especially bizarre is that the vaccines came out uh, at the beginning of 2021 and then Omicron came out halfway through 2021. Now, both of those two things uh, theoretically should have greatly reduced Damage from COVID itself. Another reason that these death rates that persisted uh, so high in uh, uh, 2021 and 2022 uh, are hard to explain. So my question would be: Why do you attribute this continued high, uh, these continued high death rates that shouldn't be there? They're utterly mysterious. We should have had a, a lower than 2019 death rate in 20 second second half of 2021 and in 2022, but we don't. And these ridiculously, suspiciously uh, high death rates are now uh, pretty well, it's pretty well timed with the vaccine rollout. So why couldn't vaccines be contributing to keeping these death rates too high? Well, I mean, that, that's certainly possible but
1: it doesn't seem very likely for the following reason. The point you're making about low-hanging fruit is certainly correct, but remember the relative numbers we're talking about. In other words, we're talking about, say, 250 million Americans being infected and only 30 or 40,000 a year dying from fatal heart attacks and strokes, uh, above and beyond the typical numbers. While on the other hand, COVID had killed well over a million people. So in other words the covid losses dwarf the size of the increased fatal heart attacks and strokes i mean the fatal heart attacks and strokes were a very small fraction of the total losses of covid just a you know a few percent or something like that and so you know it's a situation where if 250 million people are infected with covid and in many cases the infection damages their heart tissue or weakens them in various ways You could imagine then that weakening would then manifest itself in a higher rate of fatal heart attacks and strokes for many years going forward. It's not, for example, that a huge fraction of all the infected people died of heart attacks and strokes. I mean, we're talking about basically one in 10,000 or something like that, or one in 20,000. And so those numbers, you know, we're talking about people in effect being somewhat damaged, in their internal tissue by the infection. I and mean, in fact, it could very well be that many of the people whose tissue was damaged, whose heart tissue was damaged by COVID might've had such mild COVID infections that they wouldn't have even been aware of it, or you know, it might've been a sniffle or something like that. In other words, there, we don't really know that much about how COVID works or all of its detailed aspects. So it's perfectly possible that the uh, that the sort of macroscopic infection you get, you know, where you're very, very sick and you have trouble breathing and you have lung infections, you know, which is what generally kills most people, that might not necessarily be that closely associated with the subtle damage to heart tissue that could then kill, for example, one in 10,000 people. I mean, m- most of the figures I've seen are that the average rate of COVID deaths is something like 1%, a half of 1%, somewhere in that range, obviously very much based on age and obesity and things like that. But, you know, we're talking about basically, you know, half of one, 1%, a half of 1% dying from the COVID infection itself. But in the case of, you know, these fatal heart attacks and strokes, we're talking about probably one hundredth of 1% or one two hundredth of 1% dying in a given year from those long-term consequences. So, in other words, it's we're, it's a very, very small effect that normally wouldn't be noticeable, but, you know, given 250 million infections, it does show up in the annual statistics. So, uh, the point you're making, though, is a perfectly valid one. In other words, if all we had to go on were the United States data, it would be more difficult to separate out those two cases, in other words, the low-hanging fruit argument you made. But what I've actually done since then, since writing the article, and that will be the subject of my next article early next week, is uh, there's actually a very nice website out there that lets you look at the mortality statistics for about uh, 30 or 40 different countries around the world, most of the major countries that have their public data available, and actually lets you look at the... Uh, excess mortality or deficit mortality for any of the given years based on comparisons with, um, you know, whatever reference years you want. And you can also actually separate out the age groups that you're looking at. And so what I ended up doing then was going through uh, just in the last couple of days and looking at all of the mortality figures for the last few years for all the 35 or 40 countries in the system concentrating on the working age populations. And I discovered something really quite remarkable. If you, most of the countries in the database are the European countries because obviously they have you know, fairly solid government statistics. And I discovered that roughly half of all the European countries had had for the working age population, age 15 to 64, they actually had mortality deficits for the last three years, in some cases, very large mortality deficits. In other words, if you simply go and compare for ex- the number of people in those countries of working age who died in 2020, 2021, and 2022 with what the estimates would have been in 2019 based on the previous few years, you find the number of deaths sharply declined for all three of those years. In some of those countries, I'll give an example. We're talking about France, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, basically about half of the European countries showed mortality deficits for all three of those years. So the reason for that, you know, it's not entirely clear, but I would assume because of the lockdowns and the strong public health measures, other types of infectious diseases greatly disappeared. In other words, there was much less flu, there were many fewer people getting pneumonia, things like that, because you know of the lockdowns and other procedures like that. Also, since people were locked down, obviously traffic accidents and things like that would have gone down a great deal. But the bottom line is if you look at a country like France, I mean, France is a large country. I think the population is about 70 million or something like that. Deaths in France for the working age population were unexpectedly low in 2020. They were unexpectedly low in 2021, and they were unexpectedly low in 2022. So we're talking about three years in a row of deficit
0: mortality. Now, how how do we explain the was, difference between that and the U.S.?
1: Oh, That's a good question. I mean, that's really the bottom line. I mean, when you look at the U.S. is a tremendous outlier among all those countries. The U.S. had the worst mortality statistics of any of the countries in the system. I mean, we had huge excess mortality. We had excess mortality in all three of those years, while most of the European countries had deficit mortality in all three of those years. So the first issue you come up with is if there was very heavy vaccine, in all of those European countries. And the working age population had unexpectedly few deaths in all three of those years. It's very difficult to believe that the vaccine was killing too many people but, but it's also I mean, difficult could, to believe
0: that covid was killing too many of the europeans either and that was oh, is exactly. it the red wine but remember <laughs>
1: well the, the key thing is we're talking about working age people in other words when you're talking about a pop, the population age 15 to 64 the covid death rate is really quite low i think it's probably oh i don't know probably 0.1 percent or something like that so you know we're talking about relatively small number of covid deaths Plus, obviously, the Omicron is much more mild than the original version of COVID. And, you know, I think there's quite a lot of evidence that the vaccines do alleviate the symptoms of COVID if somebody becomes infected. So the combination of a low death, low COVID death rate for people of working age, Omicron being very mild and the vaccines probably helping basically meant that the number of people dying of COVID in those countries was really very low. Meanwhile, you did have the public health measures and lockdowns causing the disappearance of other contagious diseases and fewer people dying in traffic accidents. You know, again, I I haven't really looked at the individual statistics to see which mortality case categories really fell the most. But the bottom line, the, the figure that is the most robust figure to look at on any of these public health measures is the total death rate. We're not talking about whether people died of COVID or died with COVID or died from some other cause. We're not talking about the cause of death. We're simply talking about the total number of people who died. And in France and most of these other major European countries, the total number of working-age people who died died for the last three years was unexpectedly low unexpectedly low in each of those three years despite all the very heavy vaccine and boosting so at the very least you have to say that the number of people being killed by the vaccines is so low it's swamped by all these other effects and that's very very different than the united states where for example we've had massive excess mortality now when i ended up looking at those individual countries (coughs) The most obvious cause of the mortality difference across those 30 or 40 countries, when I checked, was probably the obesity rate. You have a very high correlation between the obesity rate of those individual countries and whether they had excess mortality or deficit mortality. And we know, you know, based on all the medical studies, that obesity greatly increases the impact of a COVID infection. In other words, if you're obese, you have a much higher chance of dying of COVID than if you're not obese. And so when you look at the countries, for example, and it's not just the United States, it turns out if you look at the ranking of obesity in major developed countries, the country right below the United States in high obesity is actually Canada. Now, Canada differs from the United States in all sorts of dramatic ways. Socially, politically, you know, I mean, there are huge differences between the two countries, but Canada had the same sort of massive excess deaths for the last three years that the United States did in a very much the same way. So in other words, politically, there might be many differences in Canada, but in terms of the actual excess death rate, there was very little difference between the United States and Canada. In, it was also true of the other countries that have high obesity rates, like, for example. And I, you know, I wasn't even aware of where these countries ranked, but there are some internet tables that show the uh, average obesity of uh, you know most of the countries in the world, and you really see a very clear pattern. For example, Australia has a high obesity rate, and in fact, let me just check my chart for a second. Okay. If you look at uh, If you look at, for example, the countries like Chile, for example, has a high rate of obesity, and so do England and Scotland, and those also had very high excess mortality rates during the last three years from the time that COVID first appeared. Meanwhile, the countries that have the lowest obesity rates generally had mortality
0: deficits,
1: In other words, they basically had fewer people dying in the last three years than anyone would have expected back in 2019.
0: Sounds like it's it's an obesity pandemic. It's not a COVID pandemic. Exactly.
1: It's it's an obesity. The relationship with obesity seems extremely strong. Hmm. And so the whole thing about it is we know that that COVID infections are much, much more dangerous for people who are more obese. And so that tends to support the idea that these excess deaths are mostly due to obesity. In other words, when you're talking about, for example, the working age population, people who are younger than 65, under normal circumstances, their death rate would be very low from COVID. But if on the other hand, they're quite overweight, if they're quite obese, then their death rate can be much higher than that. And that almost certainly is the reason we see the results in the United States Canada Australia England Scotland that you don't see in Sweden or uh, for example Sweden or the Netherlands or Denmark or um, South Korea for example so I mean you really see a very clear pattern I mean the pattern is so obvious with regard to the obesity link I'm really very surprised that it hasn't gotten more attention it hasn't been published You know, all the medical journals with tremendous amount of visibility. Why didn't Tony Fauci
0: try to impose mandatory weight loss on all of
1: us? uh, Sure, exactly, exactly. But, I mean, the whole thing about it is, you know, you, you could, I suppose, make the case. You could make, I think it's a weak case, but you could make the case and argue that the vaccines are only dangerous for people who are obese in the same way COVID is dangerous. And, you know, that could possibly be a factor. But still, you have a situation where the uh, large rises in excess deaths occurred before the vaccines were distributed. And so it really becomes very doubtful that you know everything matched perfectly and coincidentally so that you had uh, basically the uh, heart attacks and strokes taking place in the, at the same rate after the vaccines were distributed as they were before. And just, you know, working out so that the numbers are exactly the same. So I, I really think, I mean, when you really consider the international comparison, the, the point you raised about the United States was, you know, a reasonably valid one, that you could imagine a situation where the weakest or illest Americans were struck down by COVID in 2020, which then should have caused a decline of working age death rates in 2021 and 2022, which was then counteracted exactly by the impact of the vaccines. But when you're looking at countries like France or Sweden or the Netherlands or Denmark that had unexpectedly low working age death rates for 2020, 2021, and 2022, with no change whatsoever once. The massive vaccine and boosting took place, it really raises very severe doubts as to whether the vaccine had any significant negative impact. Now, I mean, I'd be the first to grant that when you take a, a new innovative vaccine like the COVID vaccines using mRNA technology that has not been well tested, and you give doses of the vaccines to probably by now it's billions of people around the world you're certain to have adverse consequences. And I don't doubt at all that many hundreds or thousands or possibly even tens of thousands of Americans died from the vaccines. In other words, the vaccine killed them. But when you have a situation where the vaccines may have killed, say, a few thousand Americans, while well over a million Americans apparently died of covid So long as the vaccines seem to reduce the risk of dying really very substantially, they probably were a worthwhile choice to make. And, you know, I'm not somebody who believes in mandatory vaccinations because the vaccines don't seem very effective. Uh, Contrary to what the original hopes were, they don't seem very effective at preventing infections or preventing transmission. But there does seem to be a lot of evidence that they greatly reduce the severity of the COVID infection and the risk of dying. Uh, the other interesting point is it's not even clear to me whether the vaccines have much impact on the, um, the damage to the heart tissue that probably is causing these longer-term questions of fatal heart attacks and strokes. In other words, it's perfectly possible that the vaccines are effective in reducing the sort of deaths from the immediate COVID infection caused by lung infections or, uh, you know, basically breathing problems. while on the other hand, it's possible that the vaccines are much less effective at reducing the more subtle damage done to a person's body, and heart tissue that, you know, ultimately leads to higher rate of fatal heart attacks and strokes. And well, they, they that might even be really negatively
0: take... effective, Ron. And, and to know that we would need to run vax versus unvaxed studies of things like these, exactly. these uh, deaths. And the interesting thing to me is that if I don't know if you read, uh, Zoe O'Toole and, and that children health defense book about, uh, turtles all the way down, but it lays out in, in pretty clear terms the fact that the medical establishment and big pharma have, let's face it, conspired to make sure that there are no major vaxxed versus unvaxxed studies that have ever been done on any vaccine. And they deliberately rig their tests to obscure the likely harms of Vaccines in general. So, given that track record, and then given, as you say, this this new mRNA technology with great potential for harm that we wouldn't know about until it happened, I don't blame people for being uh, highly skeptical. Especially since, just as in in these previous examples of other vaccines, uh, with the COVID vaccines, it seems that the authorities have not wanted to do the kinds of vax versus unvax studies that could clarify to what extent uh, they may be harming people. And, you know, you could argue that that might be because they know or suspect that they'll find out that these vaccines are causing a fair bit of harm. However, they think that the public health benefits are much greater than the harm, and they don't want us to know about the harm at all because um, the people who are harmed – May not appreciate the fact that they had to suffer in order to create a better uh, public health environment. So uh, I, I think that if we're going to argue that the anti-vaxxers should you know should should be quiet and let things continue the way they are, obviously the first thing that needs to happen is some really major studies that we know how to do, designed to tease out uh, just how much harm vaccines are causing.
1: Oh, certainly, I agree with that. I mean, obviously, you know, running some studies would certainly be very beneficial on something like this. One problem, though, with regard to, you know, at least the COVID vaccine issue is that the deaths from COVID infections are so much larger number than these than the evidence of fatal heart attacks and strokes. In other words, we're talking about a difference of 10, 20, 30, even maybe 50.
0: But that's not that's not that, true with younger uh, non-obese people.
1: Oh, uh, you're you're right. In other words, uh, that, that, that that's certainly correct. In other words, the ratio probably isn't as extreme for uh, younger people that way. Though on the other hand, I, I I haven't really seen the figures on the age distribution of the fatal heart attacks and strokes in the United States, so I'm not sure how much they're similarly concentrated among the elderly. In other words, but, but I, I grant you, I mean, since the, COVID, the risk of COVID infections directly goes down so dramatically with age, I, I think the ratio is probably something like if you're infected with COVID without vaccine or anything like that, you probably have about 100 times a greater chance of dying if you're over 60 than if you're under 40, you know, roughly that sort of ratio. So, I mean, given such huge ratios, probably the relative impact of the heart attacks and strokes is greater for younger people. But I mean, still, we're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands of people a year in America having died of COVID and only an extra tens of thousands you know, low tens of thousands having died from the increase in fatal heart attacks and strokes. So in effect, a, it probably a study like that would be more difficult to conduct though. I mean, if it were based on working age pop people, it probably, you know, the effects would be comparable enough that it might, you know, be not that difficult to sort through. But uh, no, I mean, I, I certainly agree with you. I mean, studies like that certainly are worth doing. And, um, uh, it, it also, you know, would be interesting to see whether the vaccines benefit um, the sort of long uh, provide benefit for the longer term heart damage, potentially, in the same way they do for the immediate risk of dying, you know, within a few weeks from a COVID infection. And I, I just don't really know about that. But I mean, the thing that really does surprise me is that the obesity factor was so enormous and so visible. Just as soon as I looked at the numbers on the chart, I, I at least I've never heard anything about it. You would think basically hundreds of medical professionals would have published academic papers on it over the last couple of years. I mean, the, the signal is so strong. I mean, I, it only took me like, I don't know, an hour or two. I mean, all I did was basically go through and check the excess death levels in for all of those years in all of the 30 or 40 countries in that uh, website. And then, you know, I noticed the pattern seemed so strong, and America was such an extreme outlier, I realized that, you know, America's also an outlier in its very high rate of obesity, and I checked, and sure enough, all the other countries that had very high levels of excess deaths also had very high obesity levels so i mean it just seems like a very straightforward thing and you know it maybe would encourage americans to cut back on some of their food consumption because you know whether you you know are fearful of vaccinations or not fearful of vaccination the empirical fact is that America's had a much, much higher death rate over the last few years than all of these non-obese countries. So whether it's the combination of obesity and the vaccines or obesity and COVID,
0: they're all it's three, clear most that, likely.
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, it's clear that you, if you reduce the obesity, you have far fewer problems, far fewer health problems. I mean, it just really was such a remarkably strong Well, why, why, why I mean, that?
0: Why do you think Fauci wouldn't talk about that? Why, why do you think that this whole topic has been so suppressed? Do you think people are sensitive about fat shaming? It's all part of this identity politics zeitgeist that we're in? To
1: be honest, I don't have a clue. In other words, I only came across it like yesterday. And it's just so obvious. I mean, there have certainly been articles in the newspapers describing obesity as being a tremendously important health, uh, risk if you end up getting infected with COVID. So it's not like people are keeping it secret. I mean, it, you know, it's been reported in all in the newspapers. And exercise, I mean, too,
0: and, and vitamin D yeah, levels, exactly. all, the, all these things. Uh, yeah, and the, this is the, the um, COVID skeptics community has been talking about this stuff, along with ivermectin and things like that, but also vitamin D, exercise, uh, obesity, and, and so on. Uh, and it's, it's interesting how the main medical establishment has largely avoided those topics and even tried to shoot them down. The suspicion has been that they wanted uh, a an emergency that couldn't possibly be treated by anything but mRNA vaccines as an excuse to bring out the mRNA vaccines. And personally, I think that's plausible. And in fact, your bio-warfare hypothesis might explain part of why that's so plausible in that this is a military thing. Uh U.S. has a big lead in mRNA technology, which could be very useful in protecting against uh quickly whipped up uh, pandemics and, and variants and things like that. And so whichever country can produce the quickest, worst plagues and then defend against them in the most you know, quick and even if quick and dirty way, maybe it kills a few people, but who cares? We've saved our population. We've decimated the enemy's population. That's how the military thinks. So it, it does seem to me, that uh, the militarized aspect of both the uh, the plague itself and the response to it um, might go a certain way in explaining why they focused so relentlessly on the vaccinations and studiously looked away from things like exercise, obesity, vitamin D, and so on.
1: Well, I mean, that's possible. I, I, it's just a puzzle to me why people wouldn't have mentioned the obesity factor or, or done just, I mean, a very simple international comparison on that. I mean, it it jumps out so quickly when you look at the countries. I mean, it it could be, I'm not sure when that uh, website was established. So it could be the website is relatively new and most people haven't had convenient access to the excess and deficit mortality statistics because, I mean, prior to finding out about the website a couple of days ago, I really had no clear idea of what the actual, Uh, You know, mortality statistics were for all those different European countries, because remember, the mortality statistics for the overall mortality statistics are masked to some extent by the elderly groups that have a very high rate of death from or relatively high rate of death from COVID. So, in other words, the key thing is the key thing I noticed was when I looked at the working age populations where you get very different results than when you're looking and including people who are in their 70s or 80s or 90s. And it just jumps out very clearly. I mean, America and a few other countries are extreme outliers in the working age mortality statistics of the last few years. And then when you check the pattern of those countries, I mean, it's so obviously related to the obesity of those countries. So, you know, it could be People have just focused on other things. I mean, I, maybe some of these medical doctors are worried about being accused on Twitter of being fat shaming or something like that. I mean, it's it's just the whole thing is mysterious because you would think. I mean, obesity. The fact that I mean, the the pattern is so clear. The international pattern is so extremely strong with regard to obesity. I mean. I, just can't imagine why people wouldn't publish
0: something. So statistically, like if you did uh, a uh, correlation between the obesity, overall obesity and the working age COVID deaths, uh, you, you'd, you're you you saying you think you'd find a very, very strong uh, correlation. One would think somebody would have published yeah. a paper on that.
1: Uh, Exactly. I mean, again, uh, the correlation is a little bit different. I mean, I'd have to sit down and really get the numbers more effectively. The question is whether you average over all three years or only the last couple of years. But I I just sort of eyeballed the numbers and made lists of which ones were high and which ones were low. My guess, if you used a reasonable measure of excess or deficit mortality, my guess is probably you'd find a correlation of like 07 or 0. 0.6 or 0. 0.8, which is mm-hmm. a very high statistical yeah. correlation yeah. for anything having to do with, you know, healthcare impact. And I mean, maybe in fact, now that you mentioned it, I'll, I only got these numbers. Yeah, I only worked out these numbers yesterday, so maybe I'll sit down and spend an hour or two uh, trying to get uh, quantitative figures on the deficit or excess mortality for all these countries and then just run a correlation and see, you know, whether it's 0.6 or 0.8 or something like that. Because, I mean, it's it's a very strong pattern and an unmistakable one. And again, you know, the, all these countries are very heavily vaccinated, or at least almost all of them. And, you know, you have, in fact, the other thing I guess I could probably do is do a separate correlation over the vaccine percentage of all of these countries right and see whether there's any correlation at all and i, I don 't really notice anything because for example you know some of them that had very high excess mortality rates had somewhat higher vaccine rates than others but i mean in all of these countries the vaccine rates were point seventy percent eighty percent sixty five percent sixty nine percent so i mean in all of these countries a very sizable Percentage. I mean, far more than half of the population was vaccinated, and you would think a difference of 70% vaccinated or 75% vaccinated probably wouldn't explain a gigantic difference between deficit mortality and excess mortality in the last couple of years, while the obesity seems to explain it perfectly well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting. Well, you know, I lost a few pounds during the COVID years and I might be putting a few of them back on now. So maybe uh, your work will uh, get me back <laughs> on the uh, the exercise and diet regimen a little bit. So uh, then if if we were to uh, to try to, you know, to look at the effect of, uh, of the vaccines by comparing the heavily vaccinated countries to the less vaccinated countries and, and find those kinds of correlations. I know there are people out there who have done some of that, who uh, include people like Matthew Crawford, who's been on this show, uh, Steve Kirsch and his team, uh, and I think Peter McCullough has looked at some of this. And so these kinds of people, these uh, generally vaccine critics, claim to have found uh, a lot of evidence for harm from vaccines, uh, and they have very detailed analyses of how at the beginning of mass vaccination campaigns Uh, virtually everywhere you see an ostensible rise in COVID mortality during the month of the vaccine rollout. And it's, it's not because they started vaccine because there was, because COVID was peaking. Uh, it, it, it's not connected. They also then say that there's a, uh, another sort of peak in post-vaccine mortality that comes about six months later. That is that if you, if you do the, uh, correlation, uh, or rather the numbers on w- when people's, you know, when the mortality rises post-vaccination, it supposedly peaks six months later. So I, I'm hoping that some of these people, and maybe others who hear this and f- hear about this show and then and read your article, will be motivated to try to put together the kind of clear and cogent argument that you've made, Ron, uh, trying to rebut what you're saying. And I've even offered a prize to the best rebuttal. Um, I happen to have a few uh, extra books of yours that, you know, we had some events here in Wisconsin, and we've been distributing your books. I have uh, an extra copy of our COVID-19 catastrophe, uh, Encountering American Profit and Conspiracy Theories, three of that series of uh, new books that you put out several months ago. And I'll send those three titles to anybody in the United States who could come up with the best rebuttal to your argument. Uh, the best uh, claim that no, actually, vaccines are a significant or the most significant cause of this excess mortality among working age people. Uh, so I'm, you know, look, I'm Diogenes with the lantern looking for an honest rebuttal to this argument. And because so far, I think your argument looks fairly strong, and in fact, quite strong, but the devil's always in the details, and some of these folks have been looking, you know, spending immense energy looking at all sorts of details. I think they should step back, look at the forest rather than the trees, and I think you've sketched out uh, the forest pretty well here, Ron, and then try to uh, figure out if you're wrong and if so, why. So uh, have, I know you've got lots of comments on your article uh, the, and I'm sure you'll get more on this new one that's coming up next week. Mm-hmm. Have any of them made uh, any points that make you doubt your claim? Not really. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> I mean, a lot of comments. Huge, uh, <laughs> probably, probably
1: about 95% of the comments have been critical because, you know, coming from, like, very agitated anti-vaxxers. And, I mean, they're basically probably – good fraction of it have just sort of been insults of one sort or another. And I mean a few points people have raised are reasonable, but I mean a part uh, there a few a couple of them have raised the sort of point you know you'd raised. Uh, you know, basically arguing about the American data being insufficiently solid or clear or um unambiguous. And uh, that, that's because, I mean, I only worked out the data for all these other countries in the last 24 hours. So I didn't really have that at the time of the article, though I, I didn't mention some of it in the comments. In fact, it was actually, it was only in, um, I think it was only a, two days ago, I even found out about that other website, that very nice website that has the mortality data in all those countries. And so obviously, until I found that website, I really had no access to The data from you know 30 or 40 countries and once i did and started looking at it really the pattern became very clear so uh, my new article that i'll be coming out with on monday will obviously provide a lot you know more of this information and i'm sure we'll probably get another 900 comments just as insulting and angry as these but i mean they're really you know it just if you believe that the vaccines are dangerous and are killing people you have to ask yourself why the working age population of France and all those other European countries died at a lower than expected rate over the last three years. I mean, deaths went down. And so, you know, if there's a massive amount of vaccine and boosting and deaths decline from what would have been expected in 2019, I mean, that doesn't prove the vaccine and boosting isn't killing people, but it does indicate it's probably not killing that many people.
0: Indeed. And so finally, I know this is perhaps, it should be maybe unnecessary to ask this, but a lot of people have become really suspicious about any official pronouncements or data. And there may be good reason to doubt some of the U.S. public health data the U.S. has a really notoriously opaque system for collecting it and it's very slow in being compiled. And it's, according to people like Alex Berenson, not nearly as reliable as the U.K. data and some of the other European, the countries that have good national health services, he thinks have pretty good data. So just briefly, uh, what, what would you say to these people who claim that This data that you're relying on, Ron, is dubious because it's coming from these evil authorities who are lying about everything.
1: Well, that's the whole point. In other words, I suppose you could make the argument that we can't trust the American data for the reasons you gave. But, I mean, the data on this website comes from nearly 40 different countries. And so are all those countries faking their data, including, for example, the countries that you just mentioned that uh, some of the anti-vaxxers really have a high regard for, like Britain or uh, I can't remember the other countries you mentioned. But, I mean, basically, they're the ones supposedly supplying all the data. And, you know, the data I'm talking about basically, I mean, you know, it just would be very strange for France and Britain and South and South Korea and Sweden and Denmark and every other country in the world to be faking their data in such a way as to make it look like obesity was. <laughs> it's a conspiracy against I mean, obese people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, I, I'm just—I I was really shocked at how. America was such a gigantic outlier. To give an example, you know, when the epidemic first began, I mean, all of us read in the newspapers about how it was sweeping through northern Italy, and there was then it hit France and hit all these other countries. And so I sort of assumed that all of these other countries would have the same very high death, excess death rates that America did, Italy and everything like that. But all of them actually among the working age population had deficit mortality. In other words, they showed fewer deaths in the last three years than anyone would have expected in 2019. And I, I just can't see why all these uh, governments would be faking their data in such a strange way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I think that's a, a reasonable point. Well, folks, uh, if you disagree, I'd love to hear why. And I'd particularly like to hear from people who can provide evidence and and arguments and sources and uh, explain why Ron is wrong about this. Uh, So I really am looking forward to getting emails at truthjihad at gmail.com with uh, concise uh, but detailed (laughs) and sourced uh, uh, rebuttals to Ron's argument. And this is how we can figure out uh, who's right and who's wrong is by comparing the arguments. Uh, well, well, thank you, uh, Ron Uns. Uh, I think your work on this topic is certainly thought-provoking, and as I said, it's a pretty convincing prima facie argument. I kind of hate to admit it because, uh, you know, frankly, I have looked at a lot of the arguments uh, for vaccine damage, and I'm convinced by a great many of them uh, in terms of the overall picture of all vaccines. Uh, in terms of covid it's, uh, I've, I've been kind of on the fence, but leaning towards thinking that there's a big problem, uh, based on interviews with people like, uh, well, but like Steve Kirsch, um, and, and others. So hopefully those people will get back to me and we'll, uh, try to figure this out. So, uh, maybe you'll get some better, uh, more fact oriented, less emotional comments on your next piece. So that should be out by what, Monday or Tuesday? Oh, sure. It'll be out on Monday. On Monday. Okay. I'm very much looking forward to it and I'm going to try to lose those couple of pounds I've gained back over the past uh, six months or so. Uh, so I don't become a, uh, an American statistic. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Ron. Keep up the great work. God bless and I look forward to connecting again. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay. Bye bye. That's Ron Unz of the Unz review unz.com. A uh, hotbed of controversy and well argued challenges to all sorts of establishment perspectives. And that's what we do here at Truth Jihad Radio 2. Truthjihad.com is the website. Back in the next hour with a completely different perspective from Helen Byniski. She's got a great new article out, Atrocities and Accidents. Stick around and hear about it.